you doing, Mercy Road? Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here and delighted to be with you in worship uh, on this Memorial Day weekend. We are in the middle of a series called, well, towards the end of the series, called I Dare You, and we're cultivating biblical courage, the kind of courage that is exemplified in individuals throughout the Old and the New Testament. So each week we look at kind of a case study and courage. This week we're looking at the book of Daniel, and we're looking at three young men that if you have not grown up in church, you uh, will think their names sound kind of out there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We'll be in Daniel chapter 3. As you turn there, I'd love to just give you a little background. The book of Daniel is a historical record of the people of God in exile, the Jewish people that were carried away by a foreign conqueror and assimilated into the Babylonian empire. And so there's all this tension of how far can we go and still honor God? Because this culture is trying to completely indoctrinate and change our identity as Jews. That's the story of uh, the book of Daniel. There's prophetic visions in the book of Daniel about the coming rule of God. And the, the main theme is that God's always in control no matter how bad it looks, both in a big picture and in our lives. And don't some of us need to hear that today. God is faithful. He's not going to forget his people. And he's coming for them and he's with them. So the context of chapter 3 is there's this King Nebuchadnezzar, what a last name. He makes an image of gold that's very high, a statue. He's a narcissist for sure. He's bloodthirsty. He's violent. He's quite a king. And he has recruited three young, promising Jewish young men to serve in his administration. He sees promise in them, but he makes a decree. He says, hey, everybody at the point in time has to bow down and worship this idol I made to show allegiance. Well, that's a problem. If you're a monotheistic Jew, you don't bow down and worship anything. You only worship the one true God, Yahweh. And so he gets the message that, hey, you know your three, your three boys, the three young men that you've invested time in and you like and you've put in positions of power, they're not on board with bowing down. We pick it up at uh, verse 13. I'm reading from the NIV. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Tell me it isn't true. That you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, here's the deal. You can kind of feel his tone. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, you know, the flute, the zypher, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, all kinds of music, when you hear the theme song, gentlemen, if you are ready now to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's almost like you, you can kind of sense, you're embarrassing me, guys. I recruited you. You're making me look bad. I know you're into the Yahweh. There's one God thing. I think you're crazy for that. You can believe that in private. Now in public, you show your allegiance to me and you do what I tell you to do. And if not, you're going to be burned alive. So get this one right. Maybe you missed the email, but, but uh, this is a real important public service announcement. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
This is how not to talk to a despotic, violent king. That, that's the section we're in now. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. In the ancient world, seven is the number for completeness. As a side note, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other outer clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. He's so mad, he's just stoking the furnace, and then it's like, hey, put a parka on that guy. Give him a wool cap. Make it flammable. This is, it's like kindling on them. He's really kind of going overboard. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up the Shad, up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their house be turned into a pile of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is God's word, my friends. Friends, if you are taking notes, and if you've been in this sermon series, you'll be familiar that we just dare each other to do things based on the text each week in this series. And Here's the plot spoiler, three dares this morning. I dare you to believe that God is able to rescue you. I dare you to believe that God is not only able, but will rescue you. And I dare you to worship God even if he does not rescue you. Does not rescue you in the form of rescue that you assume that you prayed for. You know, it's Memorial Day. And the worst job I ever had for a year was when I was an army chaplain and I did a year of death notification duty stateside. So I'd, I'd knock on doors and some of you have done that too. And it's, it's, just, it's just a tough thing to do, to tell people that their, their son or daughter, their husband or wife, their, their loved one, their dad, their mom, they're not coming home. What I noticed though was when I did death notifications for people who had a firm belief 
in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they reacted differently. Of course, they lamented and, and fell to the ground and were just completely broken, and, and it's appropriate on Memorial Day just to honor those families. But they grieved with a hope, with a sense that even though they sent their loved ones to combat, saying, God, I know you're able to protect him. You will protect him. Please protect him. They also sent their loved ones in harm's way, saying, even if he dies, I'll still worship you. I know that you're still sovereign. I know that you can still use this because people die in war. But you're able. And please protect Even if. Even if. I'll worship you. That's what these three young men are exemplifying. Of course, the immediate context of the, the story of these three young men, it, it's caving and, and no longer standing up for what you know is right and God-honoring. And you will experience that. You'll experience fiery trials, like the loss of a loved one, like we honor on Memorial Day, but you'll also experience the fiery trials of doing the right thing when everybody else is telling you to, to cave, to bow. And man, is it easy to bow when everyone else is bowing, when, when there's a real possibility of getting burned on the other side. And, and every one of us will have a choice to make, many choices to make. If you choose to cultivate courage like these three young men, you will not be as popular as you otherwise would have been at school or work. You may get persecuted. You may get misunderstood or canceled. But if you insist on honoring God, if you believe that he is able to rescue you, he will somehow rescue you, and even if it doesn't come in the form of rescue you'd hoped, you'll still worship him, not only will you have the joy of putting your head on your pillow at night with a clear conscience, you will see God do wonderful things, and you will notice that there is a fourth man in the fire. You know, maybe you today are going through the furnace of persecution for your scriptural beliefs. Maybe you're going through the fire of cancer or the loss of a loved one. Maybe for you, it's the flames of mental health problems and it just feels like it's consuming you. Maybe it's an addiction, yours or somebody else's, or maybe it's abuse that, that happened to you and you're trying to make sense of it all, or, or a financial need, a job loss, marital problems. There's no shortage of furnaces in life, and Christians are people who expect that there will be times where we have to walk into the flames. But we're people who know that there's a fourth man in the fire, that God who became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, walks with us. So I dare you to believe God is able, and, and, and the competence of God is something that should enrich your faith when you just think about he made the galaxies, he shaped the Himalayas, the microbiology of our world, all that complexity and just the magnitude of time, and, and he's the author of it all, and that's amazing. And as we, as we think about that, it, it prompts us to worship, it prompts us to become courageous. And 
I dare you to believe God will rescue you. This is tricky in the Hebrew there, that I will rescue you. We believe God will rescue us, Nebuchadnezzar. There's hesitation in the way that the original language is. It's basically saying, yes, I have faith, and of course I have some doubts. I don't know how he's going to rescue me, because I just lipped off to the most bloodthirsty guy up to this point in human history. I mean, did you notice how Nebuchadnezzar ends the story? Even when he's convinced that Yahweh is the one true God, it's like he, he moves into like worship of the God, and then he's like, no, I'm just actually going to riff on what's going to happen to anybody who speaks against this God. I'm going to chop them up in tiny little pieces and put their house to rubble and ruin. It's like, wow, man, you need to see a good therapist, Nebuchadnezzar. They just lipped off to the guy, and, and they're saying, Yes, God, you're going to rescue me, right? I mean, they're being carried and led to the furnace doors, and the guys carrying are like melting. Well, that's not feeling like a rescue. And then they fall into the flames. You notice that God does rescue them, but he doesn't rescue them by just bringing a legion of angels down and making it the case that they don't actually have to walk into the flames, he doesn't rescue them from actually going into the fire. It's, he's with him in the fire. His presence is the rescue, not the avoidance of the flames. Do you hear, hear the one about the guy who was in a flood, he's stuck on a building? He said, God, just help me. Just rescue me. It needs to be done in a very delicate way. I'm, I'm kind of afraid of heights. I'm kind of afraid of drowning. And all of a sudden, a canoe comes by. Hey, we've got another seat. Oh, canoes are very tippy. I don't know about that. Oh, God, please. No, God's going to rescue me. Thank you for your offer. Thank you. you know. And then all of a sudden, a fishing boat comes by. Oh, that looks like maybe I could get in there, but no, no, no. My God, my God is powerful, and he will sovereignly rescue me. Thank, thank you, thank you. All of a sudden, a helicopter comes by and says, the waters are rising, man. Like, we've got a guy who'll come down on a rope and pick you up in a harness, and it'll be great. Oh, boy, I'm afraid of heights. I don't know about that. Yeah. Thank you. My, my God's going to rescue me. It's going to be fine. And, you know, he dies. Put his faith in Christ. Now he's standing in the presence of God. And God's like, really? You didn't see the rescue attempts there? Some of us need to be less stubborn about the ways that God will rescue us. Some of us need to be a little more open-minded about how God works in our most difficult seasons of life and persecution. Maybe God allows you to be in the furnace because something needs to be burned off of you, and that is the rescue. Maybe God is deepening your faith by allowing you to go through a trial. You know, I love that we have skeptics and agnostics and even atheists who attend the church and we just baptized two former atheists at Easter, and that was beautiful. And uh, I always want to make them feel very at home because I know we have an online audience that's diverse as well. And one of the things that I concede to those who really say, I, I just can't believe it, is that it is difficult to look at the suffering in the world. There are instances where you're like, how can a loving God allow that to happen? But as I've examined all the worldviews that religion can offer, it's only Christianity that says, God walks with us in the flame. Krishna doesn't do that. Muhammad doesn't do that. It's only Jesus. It's only Christianity that says, you might 
go through life and wonder why God allows you to go through certain painful things, but you never have to wonder if he cares about you because that God became a human being, was born into abject poverty, was essentially a homeless itinerant rabbi, chronically misunderstood, laughed at, mocked, canceled, and then he was killed on a big beam of wood, tortured for your sake, so that he might rise. He walks with you, my friend. And maybe those of us who are believers and non-believers, because we all have doubts, that's part of the faith journey, maybe we need to examine and re-examine some of those doubts today and say, what if it's true that God walks with us in the flames of life? I dare you to believe God is able. I dare you to believe he will rescue. And third and lastly, I dare you to worship God even if he does not. Do you have an even if faith? Or is it always dependent on God just acting like a genie and fixing things as you see they should be fixed? These young men say, even if he doesn't rescue us from the furnace, even if our doubts are somehow proved real, I'm going to plant my flag here. I'm going to take my stand and say, I'm not going to bow to idols. What is an idol? It's a good thing that you make an ultimate thing. An idol can be a relationship, power, sex, money, a preferred career trajectory, a t- video games. Anything can be an idol when you put it in the God spot. It's, it's that thing that if I don't have that, game over. I can't move on. I can't see any meaning in life. It's not just the golden statue. It's what's beneath and symbolic of the golden statue. And these men say, no. We know that God has been faithful to our people. We remember Deuteronomy 4.20 that describes the exodus in this way. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. We grew up learning that there is one God, not a hundred, And that this God chose a tiny, underwhelming group of people to be a light to the nations, to show the world what a relationship with this redemptive God could look like. We know that that draws fire and that we have been persecuted as a people. And we know that even at our lowest point as a people, when we were in abject slavery, this God, the only God that's worthy of our reverence and bowing before, this God pulled us out of that slavery. And we know that that slavery was compared to a smelting fire, a fiery furnace. And so now that we stand before a literal one, we can say God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't in the form that we want him to, he's still worthy of our worship. I like bonfires. I always have. Had one uh, last night. And uh, I really wanted my wife to join me. Because, you know, the kids were finally in bed. It was an ideal summer night. She would not. And she would not because, ladies, what do you think just happened? She got her hair done that day, right? Because, you know, women, I, I don't really relate to that. But you put a lot of work up there, and then your hair, what? Smells like bonfire. And so she didn't want to smell like a bonfire, so it was a short bonfire for me followed by talking inside, and that worked, and that's fine, and I think my beard still smells like bonfire, but here's something incredible. Did you notice at the end of this story, when they come out, they don't even smell like smoke? Now think about it just for a minute. All of us 
smell like a bonfire a little bit. We all smell like the smoke of the flames that we have and will have to endure. That's just part of the deal, the side of eternity. PTSD is a real problem with uh, veterans, those who have lost loved ones on this Memorial Day, law enforcement officers. PTSD could be described as smelling like smoke. The flames you walk through left a smell. You don't go into a coal mine without getting a bit of dust on you. You don't sit by a bonfire without smelling like smoke. Consider for a moment that because the fourth man, Jesus Christ, is walking with these young men in the fire, they come out of the fire not smelling like smoke. That is so powerful. You may have just been traumatized by something, by some kind of furnace. Maybe you're still going through it. Know that one day when you get out of the fire on the other side of this life, you won't smell like smoke. There'll be no traumatic effects or nightmares. You won't just constantly call to mind all that has been lost. You'll be in the presence of an eternal king. You'll recognize in an instant that he walked with you every furnace you walked through. And you won't smell like smoke. I'd like to... uh, conclude the sermon in a little non-conventional way. Ari is going to come up, Pastor Ari, and sing a song by an artist named Foy Vance, and I'm going to read the lyrics because it's a falsetto song, and it sounds really cool, but it is a, a bit hard to understand the lyrics. They'll be in the screen too. As I read these lyrics, just prepare your heart to be ministered to, and then after that song, we're going to end the, the time together with a powerful interview from a good friend of Mercy Road's, Mike Howell who knows a thing or two about walking through the flames. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and walk right into the fire. If only I knew the truth and love. Then I would be so bold, melt my idol of gold. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and see the fourth man in the fire. And if he is everything that I hope, then I would be so bold, melt my idol of gold. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and walk right out of the fire with no burn upon my skin or on my clothes. Then I would be so bold, melt my idol of gold.
Well, Mike and Sharon, thank you for being with us today. I want to just give a tiny bit of history. Um, I met Mike a couple of years ago, maybe longer, but at least a couple of years ago. And I met him at a pastor's prayer group because Mike has a ministry. He has a heart to pray for every church south of the river. Now, you may not know it, that is a lot of churches. And he had made contact with me, and I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but Mike and Sharon came, we met, and every concern I had washed away. And I am so behind what you are trying to accomplish praying for the churches. So, Mike, thank you for that, first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing that happened is, is Mike Lotzer said, I'm doing this sermon on Dare You on these characters that are being thrown into the flames. And I said, he said, do you have anybody in mind who might be good in, in terms of our personal testimony? And I said, I actually think of Mike Howell, who Mike already knew. He said that he's perfect because he's been through the fire. And so about five and a half years ago, you had a crazy circumstance that led to your paralysis, right? Yeah. I, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, I, was, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm paralyzed. But, are you noticed? I, I just I noticed. Well, I was paralyzed from a reaction that I got from a flu shot. So, but I didn't get the flu. Praise God. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you'll also know Mike has a wonderful <laughs> sense of humor, and I love that about you. Yeah. So, we're thinking about the, the sermon today. Yeah. I just, I sent Mike some questions. We sent Mike some questions because we, we have a hundred, but we narrowed it down to four. <laughs> okay. So, the first question I want to ask you is, did, do you believe that God can heal you? Absolutely. God is able to heal me. Um, and I used to pray that God would heal me. Um, but I don't pray that anymore. Um, I've realized that in the condition I'm in right now, that I'm actually a, a better person than I was before that. That um, for uh, part of my condition is that I kind of lose my train of thoughts or have problem getting um, words. That's it. Words out of my mouth. So, so if, that's. Sharon, if you'd help me. No. No. Yeah. Thank you. So, yes, I, I used to pray for healing. I'd, I'd love to be able to walk again. I'd love to be able to drive again. Although, one of us here... That's not her prayer. <laughs> that I'd be able to work again. You know, being in this condition means that 
Sharon has to do everything that I need, uh, you know, to get from my bed to my chair requires a transfer to get dressed. I can't dress myself. I can't eat without assistance. I can't brush my teeth. There's a lot of things I can't do. So, yeah, I feel bad about that. Um, and now you're going to help me again, dear. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so much about my, my story that we just can't go into right now. But let's suffice it to say that I'm a better person in my chair than what I was beforehand. Mike, one of the things that we asked is, how have you found the courage to worship God in the even if that Mike talked about in the sermon, yeah. even if healing doesn't come in the way you expect it? Yeah, you know, I was, when I look at so many of the Psalms, it starts out by David um, sharing his his grievances with God. God, the, my enemies are around me. They surround me. My um, the Philistines are are after me. The, the so many things that was bothering David, and he he'd start out with the Psalms describing that. Well, near the end of the psalm then, um, and at the very end of the psalm, psalm, he would say, yet I will praise you. And so God isn't about, I mean, God wants us to share our grievances with him. He wants to know our hearts. And... Yeah, so just like David's focus was on God, um, that's what I need to do. I need to be able to lift my grievances. And at the end, and the bottom line is, I'll focus on God. And when I focus on God, you have to praise him. I know this is hard, but if if you think about these last five plus years and not having a faith in God, can you just explain what you think that may have been like to not have God in your life in this time? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. The, uh, th that is hard because my, I grew up in the church. My whole um, worldview has been that uh, through God, uh, the eyes of believing God. So if, I mean, I prioritize things with faith first, family next, and friends. So not a lot of things would change. I'd have my family. I'd have my friends. They might be different friends, but I'd have friends. 
but I wouldn't have faith. And what would be missing would be hope. Jesus is our hope. And what would be missing from having hope would be peace. Jesus is our peace. He, he is the Prince of Peace. So, yeah, I, I guess that uh, I'd have to fill it with my family, my friends, and I'd probably have as much fun as I could because what else? But the peace would be missing. Yes. Yeah. The uh, about yeah about fifteen twenty years ago, I learned of a um, a thing called Pascal's wager. Has anyone heard of Pascal's wager? Yeah, probably not. It's a it's it's a from a. 17th century French philosopher named Blaise Pascal. And he, uh, he was the first person to formalize the um, existentialism uh, so, uh, so he's famous in the philosopher world. He was a philosopher, a, a mathematician. He was a physicist. He was a theologian. Anyway, Pascal had this um, argument. It's called Pascal's Wager. And I'll paraphrase it. It's, if I live as if there was God, and it turns out there wasn't, I've lost nothing. But I've lived a good life, and I've been happy. But if I live as if there was no God, and it turns out that there was, I've lost everything. So, a wise person would, would wager that there might be a God. So, I don't know if you've ever seen or watched or played poker, but the, the wager of a person who's got a really good hand sometimes will go all in, puts everything on the wager. Well, we wager, we bet our lives. Our lives is bet in this existence of God or not. So I'm all in. Amen. I like being all in. Yes. I like that, Mike. It's a great picture. The final question I just want to ask is, 
How have you experienced Jesus in the flames of your trial? Yeah. So um, I've asked uh, for Isaiah 43.2. You're able. Could you put that up for us? Yeah. So when, when you look at the scriptures, you'll see three different things. And they all start out with when you pass, when you pass, and when you walk through. You'll notice that it doesn't say if you pass. It says when. We, um, we all have troubles. You may not be paralyzed. You may not have had an amputation. Um, by the way, this amputation, um, you, you can always see the, some positive out of things when they happen. Concerning this, I mean, I immediately lost six pounds. <laughs> I've doubled my sock inventory. <laughs> so, um, oh, I took myself off that yeah, train. Yeah. <laughs> when you walk through. Yeah. So, it's the... We all face troubles. It may be as small as a cold on your infant and you're worried about them. Maybe that you've had a terrible diagnosis of cancer. You've lost a child from the womb while you've been trying so hard to be pregnant. We all have different trials. When you have trouble, then the next part, I will be with you. I will be with you. Mike preached on it. I will be with you. And so that's the promise. Yeah. Sharon, Mike, thank you both. It is my privilege to give you the opportunity to do what God has put on your heart, mm. and that is to pray for the churches south of the river. Would you say a prayer for Mercy Road? Be honored. God, thank you for the leadership, for the insight of this church, for the prayer warriors I met today. Thank you for the people. Thank you for each one here because the church is the people. It's not this building. So yes, I pray a blessing on this. I pray that there'll be a, a, a great sense of knowing that you are present. I think of 
But even if of Jesus, that in the garden he said, God, I want this cup to be removed. But even if it isn't, and he accepted God's will. So I pray for God's will and God's purpose and for his kingdom to be glorified because of Mercy Road. In Jesus' name, amen.